Hey, Zach, how are you doing, sir? Welcome to the pod. And this is your first visit on the live version of this, so thanks for joining us today. Oh, of course. No, this is exciting. So um, I, I was just getting into how you are with New York Truck Stop, and you've been – we haven't talked since last year already. It's crazy how time flies. But uh, welcome to the kind of new revamped pod here. So first things first, how are you doing? How are your dad, Arthur, doing and uh, – Maybe your friends are listening now, so maybe they all want an update on how the family's doing. Oh, thank you. Uh, doing well, thanks. You know, under the uh, the circumstances, I'd say. But but yeah, you know, we're doing well. We're keeping busy. Um, it, it is interesting how because you know the work dynamic was just the two of us in an office. Um, so that does sort of translate well to working remotely. But it is interesting not to have those you know daily. Uh, Arguments is the right word, but, but, you know, long conversations with him. Um, so that's been a bit of a change. But, but, but overall, we're doing well. Uh, the family as well. Thank you for asking. Really appreciate that. Well, I, I also brought you on because obviously we, we're sports connected, so we'll talk about that in a minute. But last, <laughs> last Thursday, President Trump welcomed the truckers to the White House. What was that about? I mean, people probably are wondering what he was doing with them at the White House. Yeah. Uh, I think that was really more of a um, show of support and show of thanks to the truck drivers who are on the front line. Um, you know, they are part of the emergency essential workers who are keeping this country uh, well supplied. I know, you know, you, you see uh, pictures of people hoarding in supermarkets, but in reality, uh, although there have been some changes to the supply chain, Overall, uh, places are pretty well stocked, and there's plenty of supplies for people. Um, so uh, it was really a show of thank you and gratitude to that. There have been some um, some regulatory changes, you know, some temporary changes in terms of uh, how many hours the drivers can can be on the road and things like that. But but this wasn't really about that sort of announcement. This was really about. Uh, thank you so much for what you're doing. We appreciate you, and keep up the good work. Well, you know, um, so that was really nice to see. You guys are still talking about this on your radio show. You're doing it kind of virtually, but tell us, how are, how is it getting the radio on the air every week still from home? So that's been very interesting. That's been done through Zoom. I think uh, most people are now familiar with Zoom. They probably haven't heard of it. They, they probably didn't hear about it a month ago, uh, but now they're pretty familiar with it. So it, it, it's, it's actually kind of cool because with, with Zoom, we have everybody who will be on the show. So there will be me in one location, my dad in another location, and usually a guest or two in other locations. And so, you know, we all have that, that video of each other interacting, um, which is great to see. But, you know, on the radio, it's just it's just the audio. So it's um, – it's it, it, it's kind of like we get a different perspective than the listener does while doing it. Mm. Uh, but so that's been a bit of a change. But otherwise, you know, it's the technology is there. Um, people have had to adjust far worse than than we are doing a radio show. So it's it's been fine. Well, I'm I'm sure, and and you know what? Actually, I was doing some Zoom pre-records also for some of the shows on the stations, and Zoom quality is not that bad, to be honest no, with you. It really and it's interesting because um, the first maybe thirty seconds or a minute when you're when you're hearing yourself on the recording, it sounds a little different, and then it's it's back to normal. Really, I think it's just that that sort of shock 
uh, you're doing it through your phone or your, your laptop instead of, you know, the high-tech machines uh, in the studio. Well, Zach, you just, uh, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of different. And also for me, I'm not as distracted. As you know, I go all over the studio when I'm there. So this has kind of been like a centralized thing for me. And I guess that's how I've been able to be more productive or so I feel. Anyway, anyway, Zach, so you just mentioned there are regulations that that have been coming about with COVID for truckers. Um, Do you care to weigh in? What what exactly are you talking about there with regulations? It's not a massive change. It's basically like um, ordinarily a trucker has about 10 hours of on-duty time uh, where they could be on the road driving. Um, They do have to take a half an hour break. So, and there's talk about changing some of that regulation, you know, in, in regular times Mm. to give them a little bit more flexibility, um, in terms of, you know, if, if a driver is driving and he feels fine, um, give him a little bit of flexibility to keep going, um, versus just, you know, immediately pulling off. And then also, um, so, so the changes are about extending that time period, just because given, you know, the, the circumstances, uh, you want to make sure the drivers are on the road as much as possible, being able to supply the stores, you know, the supermarkets, the pharmacies, the hospitals, etc., as much as possible, while still in a safe um, time period. So those hours have been extended till about mid-May, but it hasn't really been, um, it hasn't been much of an issue because there are so less vehicles on the road uh, there's so much more room for trucks to operate. They've been able to go a little faster. They've been able to find parking a little bit better. So um, that that extension, though a nice gesture, hasn't really come into play so much. Now, how has Albany helped out? Because I know you guys were going up there for a while before this whole thing happened. What's Albany's response been for the truckers during this time? handled this crisis pretty well we could always debate and say did did they take this seriously from the beginning was they was there more they could have done at the beginning but but really once the you know what hit the fan so to speak the response from the state government has been very good in terms of um classifying you know the entire transportation industry is essential very early on um in terms of it's not even so much that they intentionally relaxed regulations. It's just given the nature of the pandemic, mm. they have been relaxed. So you're seeing less um, what we like to call nickel and dime type of enforcement. Still, there's enforcement for safety concerns, which should never go away. But but the sort of stuff that's just like clearly uh, taxation through regulation, so to speak, for the most part, that's gone away. Um, we could get into some of the weeds here. There's some uh, tax. Um, hi- there's something called the highway use tax. Okay. New York has, which charges drivers a percentage based on when they're on, you know, state roads. Um, and that we're not asking for that to go away right now. Um, but but there are certainly late penalty. There are penalties assigned for late payments and interest that we'd like the state to sort of nullify during this pandemic. Because, you know, just in terms of logistics, companies are running short staff, or they may not really be running 
that much at all. It's just an unnecessary burden to fill out this quarterly sort of tax for right now. But but that's, you know, one small complaint uh, in a rather large state. So overall, they, they've done well. And I'll tell you and, and your listeners, what's been even more uh, rewarding to see is the city has responded very well in terms of accommodating uh, truck drivers and the logistics industry as a whole. In fact, and I'm really excited about this, a joint partnership between New York City DOT and the Economic Development Corporation of New York City opened up two new rest areas for truck drivers uh, just last week. One of them is in Hunts Point by the Hunts Point Market, and one of them is in Staten Island by the uh, Global Containment Terminal. And uh, we're really excited about this. That's huge. And you just mentioned the supply chains. That's kind of been a big conversation, right? Because all uh, with the economy, you know, down and whatnot, the supply chains are down. And but you're saying that they're the truckers are doing the best to keep those chains alive. Is that that that's kind of the gist that I was getting from you there? Absolutely, absolutely. And, and it's interesting that you mentioned the, the supply chain because it really is. There, there are so many layers to it, right? So you definitely have the trucks. Um, sort of in the last mile, first mile type delivery. But then you have the warehouse workers uh, who are working extra hard. You have a lot of, um, you're still seeing not so much air cargo, but you're still seeing a lot of um, marine freight coming in. The ports are still operating. So everybody who services the ports is still operating. It really has been this um, all hands on deck type of effort to keep the economy moving uh, as much as possible and, and overall, it really has been a success, and that really is a, a testament to these, you know, um, first responders, to, to these people who work in these overlooked industries. Now, obviously, Alex, me and you don't overlook it. We talk about it all the time. But I think, you know, the general American public has overlooked it, and it's nice – to see them at least starting to get the recognition that they deserve. By the way, I don't know if you're still listening, but uh, Ed Delgado, the Caramel Conservative, just commented a little while ago to say good morning to everybody. So good morning on to him. Now, Zach, the other thing is the media has not really said the economy's open. So what I mean by that is they say everything's closed. You can't go in. But I feel like they're not doing a service to the actual businesses who are open and as you say, who are and the truck drivers who are making it happen, and of course the healthcare workers, what they're doing is they're saying no, everything's closed, and I think that's not right. I think they have to say, but you could still do delivery, you could still order from these places. They're they're not really telling us that. I feel. I think that's a really good point too. Um, I mean, I agree with you, and, and it, it it does because I know Alex, you like to talk about it too about how you have to have a little bit of optimism, you know, and you have to have a little bit of forward forward thinking and forward-looking, and, and, and I think this is a good example of that, too, because, yeah, look, we can't, there are so many places that are closed right now, and we can't just rush to open them up. It's not safe. But at the same time, there are a lot of places that are still open. There are a lot of people who are still working really hard to make sure that um, that Americans have what they need, to, to make sure that places, that, that stores that are open still have what they need. And, and I, I agree with you. It really doesn't hurt to say, oh, but look at what's still available and look right. what's still running. And, 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 you know, we know this is a really unfortunate situation. We know people are, are scared and we know people are cooped up in their homes. But at the same time, this could be so, so much worse if not for, you know, 
X, Y, and Z that's still open, that's still operating, that's still running to make sure you and your family have what they need to have. And there are good stories to tell there, too. Like, like even I saw last week, uh, and, and you probably saw this, too, in your listeners, a clip went viral of um, a FedEx driver went mm-hmm. to make a delivery at a, at a family's house. And the family left a note on the door saying, oh, you know, uh, we have a daughter who has uh, an autoimmune disease. And what did the driver do? He went back to his truck to get wipes to wipe down the package to make sure that there wasn't even a chance of this, this girl with the autoimmune disease uh, catching an illness, catching COVID. So, so, you know, stories like that, they're still there. They're still operating. And, and these, are, these are wonderful things to see. And, and they should give people hope that, that to sort of bridge from where we are now to where we want to be is being built. Zach, I've got to, I've got to say, I mean, that is an incredible story. But, you know, I've also noticed the private places like Uber Eats, like these different saying, having to do their own work and saying, we're going to put ads out saying we're still open. And so those commercials are actually giving people the, some idea of normalcy, I think, anyway. So it is kind of interesting too, right? How um, how uh, just commercials have shifted overnight, like everything else. I mean, they got um, their production teams up and at them, like the minute this happened. It's incredible, and it, it, it sort of it, it talk it sort of speaks to the surreal nature of everything, right? Because when this first first started, or or even maybe the week before it first started, when we were all in that like, oh, this is coming zone. Um, the commer- what were the commercials? They were for the Final Four and March right. Madness, you right. know? So, and that was surreal to see uh, commercials for March Madness, you know, two days after the tournament gets canceled. But then, conversely, a week after that, we're seeing commercials, you know, for, for like, hey, we know this is really difficult. We're going through this together. And, you know, we, we can't wait to celebrate with you again soon. But for now, be safe. You know, you know, messages like that. And it really is incredible how, you know, just like sort of at the snap of a finger, that whole industry went into overtime to, to create these new messages for the uh, the American consumer. Zach, speaking of the consumer, speaking of economics, really quickly, I know that you have connections with the economic development places here in New York. You talk with them. What are they telling you? What are these chambers of commerce telling you and, and Arthur Miller? What What's going on? What are they talking about with you? So I think, I think you're sort of looking at it, or at least to me, the messages are sort of a, a two-pronged attack, right? The first part is how do you just weather this storm? How do you get what you need to be able to stay in business, to be able to reopen uh, when, when this is over? Um, and that's sort of on two levels. The first level is sort of based on your company, how can you ad- ad- adapt? Is there any way for you to stay open during this? Is there anything you could do to change your operation to, to provide something that's essential or, or maybe you have to change your, your area of expertise a little bit? So it's like in terms of the chambers and the economic development corp and stuff like that, it's like what tools can we help you with for you to change right now temporarily to get through this? And then the second part is, if that's not possible or you need more, 
what sort of financial assistance is there from mm. either, you know, the feds, we know about the federal programs. Uh, is there anything that the state and cities could do? Is there anything that sort of uh, private industry could do uh, to help you weather this? So, so those are the two big things that these local chambers that, that, that the city and state are working on. And just like, just like, let's, let's see if we can't rethink what you do for the time being. And then what sort of levels of assistance are available to get you to weather this. By the way, city council also just approved a package for small businesses, which I think is a big deal that they're even helping out during this whole thing. Yeah, it's it's nice of them to talk about something important instead of, you know... <laughs> you mean they, you mean not banning fall crawl or whatever they call it? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, um, it was yeah. a big step. I mean, I was impressed when I first saw the notification, to be honest. No, it, it, it was, it was. You know, the city council's a really interesting um, organization, let's call it. There are 51 members of the city council. About, I think, 47 of them are Democrats, um, but that's, you know, look, that's fine. The, 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 the issue is that it's one body, you know, it's, 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 it's a one part, uh, one body legislature with basically a one party system. Mm. Um, and so the, 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 the checks and balances that ought to be on a legislative body just aren't there with the city council. And so that's where you see a lot of, um, sort of, um, talking points quickly become bills yeah which is which is a problem in in, in, in any way in any way uh, look a political talking point is not in any party in any way a good piece of legislation and so that's one of the issues well, that and, we see with the city council and unlike state senate where actually some democratic senators do go against their party which nobody really talks about but there are some that vote against their own parties thinking in the city council it kind of is like well every democrat votes the same way right so there's not really disagreement there you know it's interesting there there's some disagreement and there 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 are definitely a good chunk of like really really good city council members but yeah the problem is they're just they're just in the minority so you know a vote comes up they're just they just don't have the numbers so it it, it's sort of, yeah, they fight the good fight, but at the end of the day, it's a losing problem. Well, that's why I wish they would say, like, you know, city council, except for Joe Borelli, except for Justin Brannon, approve that, you know, because it does, it's not fair to loop everybody into that one little vote. I think that's a really good point, and I actually am kind of curious if we'll see some of that now that they're going to virtual hearings and vote remotely, where it's just like, well, this might be the only opportunity, you know, your Joe Borelli or your Bob Holden has to uh, to carve a name out for themselves. Maybe they will be a little bit more aggressive in their um, in their no vote. Right now, let's. Uh, let, I didn't know they're going virtual. We'll have to keep an eye on that. But yeah, let's uh, actually this mm-hmm. Friday, Friday morning uh, is a transportation hearing, so I'm going to try and watch that. Zoom into it, maybe zoom bomb it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that would be that would be a lot a lot more problematic for me, I think. But, but yeah, hey, you never know. Hey, so let let's talk about something uh, that that's close to your heart, and that'd be the Mets, because oh, yeah. we could come out of this pandemic with J Lo and Alex Rodriguez owning the team. How crazy is that? That would be that would be so crazy. It's funny because um, I was talking to to one of my buddies about that. Um, certainly. Well, maybe, I think probably with the ex- 
exception of uh, James Dolan, I would take any CEO over Jeff Wilpon right now uh, in the sports world. So certainly, uh, do I think A-Rod would be a better CEO than Wilpon? Absolutely. Um, the, the thing about A-Rod and J-Lo buying the Mets, though, and, and I know people have mentioned uh, Jeter and the Marlins, I just can't see a billionaire buying a New York sports team and then letting somebody else run it. Even if that is a lot. So you're seeing a Steve Cohen type of head-on collision here, where he doesn't get a say in the Mets. Do is that kind oh, of? Oh yeah, I mean there, there's there's just no way let let some some billionaire because if you're going to put down that kind of money to buy the team, you're going to want to run it. I mean, there's just mm-hmm. it, it's just totally logical. It, it, it's why it's it's why the Wilpons deal with with, with Cohen made no sense. It's like the man is not paying you two and a half billion dollars for you guys to keep running the team the the way you're running it. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Cuomo's talking to them. You know, he, he likes to say how he talked with Jeff Wilpon today, and I'm like, what does that even <laughs> matter? I don't know. I don't get it. You know. But uh, no, if A Rod bought this, I partially think it's because he wants to compete with Jeter in the NL East. I think there's some kind of competition he wants there. I I would agree with that as as, as sort of. Petty as it sounds, I do agree with that. I think that's a factor. And uh, it's just, it is nice to see sports still getting us through this because that's not the only story. First was Let's Dance. You know, that was the big thing. We'll get to that in a second. But then Gronk gets traded to the Buccaneers. I mean, uh, if anything, sports is becoming that uh, catharsis need to escape what's going on because of all the stories going on. And uh, I think... I think it's just fascinating. He came out of retirement just to be with Brady again. It's just it's wild how that unfolded. It really is. I I did not expect that. I I Gronk was one. First of all, NFL players when they retire, they usually stay retired um, because of just the physical nature of the sport. And so Gronk just he looks spent. I thought he was done. Um, I know he did a little bit of wrestling, but but still. And uh, and then yeah, just like. All of a sudden, I, I I was actually in a conference call or on a conference call, I guess technically. And I get up the call and I check Twitter, and that you know, there you go, Gronk traded to Tampa Bay. It's just uh, very surprising. Um, it, it, although you know, as a Jets fan, it is nice to have yet another team to root against. Uh, so, <laughs> so that that'll be fun. But but yeah, and I think that's sort of you know back to Cuomo, why he wanted to talk to the Wilpons, and even, you know, why um, why, why mm-hmm. uh, Trump wants to get sports back. Mm-hmm. It is that sort of um, something something positive, something unifying, you know, something we could look forward to, even if, you know, fans are not allowed in the stadiums, just, just something else, something positive to watch. And I don't know if that factored into Gronk coming back, but, but you don't, you never know. But yeah, that that Tampa Bay team is going to be fun this year, that's for sure. Well, you see what happened to Brady. He was apparently stopped in a park that was closed because he was working out in it. And uh, well, and then I see the Yankees, I think, in Tampa. You know, they're right across the street. They, they, they are thinking of opening up their grounds for him, which I think is kind of interesting for him to practice on. And he pays Derek Jeter rent now anyway, so why not? Right. Well, look, I think he made the right move for himself. He did what he wanted to do. To be with his kid, some people might not agree, not agree with it, but I think he did what his heart wanted to do, it sounds like. so. Oh, absolutely, and, and I totally agree with you. My, my whole thing is this. When, when you're playing
playing for a team, give it everything you have, honor your contract, and then in the off season you need to make a change, you go ahead and you do that. It's your life. Um, so I, I never have a problem with, with players changing teams or anything like that. It, it's Well, and he handled it so much differently than Garrett Cole. If you remember, Garrett Cole said, oh, I'm not employed. I'm like, you just finished the World Series and you're saying, like, oh, I'm not an Astro anymore? Like, that was very... It, it rattled my brain because it was like so... He just jumped ship right away. At least Brady was a little more graceful with his exit uh, out of New England. Brady knows about legacy and what his legacy is and how no matter what he does in Tampa Bay, he's a Patriot, and he's always going to be tied to the Patriots. I think Cole um, probably, you know, he's younger, he's a little less mature than, than Brady, and I don't necessarily mean that as a negative. I'm just saying that that I think, and sort of to your point, you know, I think he viewed free agency far differently than Brady did. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think you're right. I think the Brady approach, you know, to, to anybody look, looking forward, I think the Brady approach is probably the better approach. Um, although, again, I think I think Cole knew he was going to the Yankees pretty much right away, uh, where Brady wasn't entirely sure where he was going to go. So right. I don't know if that factored into it, but... Um, but yeah, and certainly I, I'm not in a position to defend the Houston Astros. <laughs> no, uh, nope. Well, I think that's kind of why Grady wanted uh, G- Garrett wanted out of there because he knew it was coming out. Um, how about this though? And I was just thinking, at least they both didn't do like a TV primetime special saying "I choose Miami." You know, I mean, at least oh, they were. Gosh. It was different. Um, so we'll have to see. And of course, the biggest question now is: Will that third piece? leave New England being Edelman. That's the next thing to look out for. See if he goes down there with them. You know, the thing with Edelman is um, Tampa Bay's receivers are fantastic. I mean, I mean, Tampa Bay's wideouts are just great. I don't, I mean, that you're talking about, as good as Edelman is, I'm not knocking him, but Tampa Bay's one of the few teams where, like, that would be a downgrade. Um, so I think, I think Edelman might be the last man standing uh, in New England. It looks like. And then, of course, the... Uh, I know, I'll have to say, of course, the draft is tomorrow night. I want to get your thoughts on that. Virtual draft. I wonder if someone's going to Zoom bomb that. I know I've been saying it often, but it just seems like a big thing. So I imagine that that happens in the Goodell draft picks as they're going on. <laughs> but apparently it's going to be, like, from his basement or something. I don't know. It's going to look kind of weird, though. But it, it we, very we can all agree Burroughs is number one, right? I mean, I don't see how he's not. I... Uh, I mean, I'm with you. I don't see how he's not either. Um, it, it, and all indications are, yeah, he, he's going to go number one. Um, and that they, they have to. He, he's got to go. He's, he, you got to get the quarterback. We man, this should be a podcast. We should do a radio show, dude. This is this is great. Um, and no, and I don't see that. The one guy I'm really saddened for is Tua because he should have taken another year to recover from this injury he had. I'm I'm still not sure why he's doing this. I think um, it's a good question. I can't fully speak to it. I, I do think that he got the 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 okay from the from the doctors and the medical staff. Um, I, I think his thinking was that um, he doesn't want to risk another injury in college. At least you know if you get hurt, get, get 
that contract, and I think the indications were he would still be a first-round pick this year. I still think he's going to get picked in the first round, um, and I would imagine in the top 10, and maybe he slips to like the top 15, but I don't see him going much slower than that. Well, of course, last year's 15th was Hoskins, and he was very ticked about that. And then he proved why he was, because he was in the stands while they were trying to finish a football game. It just didn't... Exactly. The, the maturity issues there are real. But, you know, he, at least with, uh, with him, he's got a real coach in there now. So right. If he, if he oh, improve... Ron Rivera's going to straighten that whole exactly. locker room out. If you can't improve under Rivera, then, you know, you weren't going to improve under anybody. Yeah, and I mean, everybody was surprised that he got fired, but, you know, they just wanted to move a separate way. And then, of course, they got rid of Cam later in the off season, So they've had a bit of a retooling down in North Carolina uh, with the Panthers. Now, yeah. one one other thing I brought you on for, because y- you love sports as much as I do, and you, I know you're very interested in the Let's Dance documentary. I haven't fully covered it, but I just thought after that, some people were going to start criticizing it, saying, oh, no, that's not actually what happened. Michael's wrong and whatnot. But we really haven't seen that, actually. No, no. I mean, I think this is this is very thorough. I mean, I first of all, I think the players and, and everyone around the organization remembers them being followed around, you know, with a film crew back then. And certainly, um, they were contacted recently about about rewatching the, the film and about talking about that whole team. And 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 um, and, and it's it's always interesting where you have you know the clips and then you know the modern day interviews and that mm-hmm. you know 20 year gap introspective it's interesting stuff and you know you are talking about one of the one of the all-time great dynasties in all of sports probably the greatest player of all time mm-hmm. um, you know one of the just most dominant teams at least you know for me I'm 34 years old so that was the most dominant team I've ever seen that that the second three-peat team and um and i i'm trying to think how old was i that last year i was 12 or 13 years old so i remember it pretty well not great and i certainly i'm not up on all the off the court drop a little bit of it but not all of it so, so right. it's fascinating to get to get all that well and I, I love how they highlighted Scotty in, in his own episode because he was the backbone of that team. Without Scotty Pippen, you don't have this whole thing. I love Michael. You know, we, we all know Michael did it, but I think he had to have a team around him to get it done and, and Scotty was the leader of that that group, so to speak. Yeah, he, he really he always was and I always liked Pippen and I always liked that Pippen did the dirty work. And and Jordan did you know, Jordan played defense. Jordan oh, sure. did everything. But but Pippen was just Pippen really could do anything a person could possibly do on the basketball court. It was amazing, his versatility. Uh, he, he really was a special player, and, and I agree with you. It's nice to see him get the recognition. It, it always kind of surprised me uh, growing up that he didn't. It was always just like, oh, yeah, he's Jordan's sidekick. He's Jordan's sidekick. I'm like, Jordan's sidekick? Pippen would be the best player on pretty much any other team in the NBA, you know? Like, uh, and, and even then, you know, he goes to Portland and, and they're, they're, they're one horrific fourth quarter meltdown away from the NBA Finals. Well, what I wonder is if they, um, and I didn't know, by the way, Jordan got injured his second year in the league. That was interesting to find out. I had always, I guess I didn't research it 
back farther enough. But yeah, his second year in, he got hurt. But you know how he did it? He rebounded and got himself to like one-on-one, two-on-two, three-on-three, four. He rebounded himself. And I feel like that's kind of where we're all feeling like right now. Like we can get this, we can beat this whole thing on our own. And the doctors are like, well, there's still a 10% chance or more you could get it, so we're going to lock us down. So it's just kind of that same debate's coming up even to this day of whether to play with a 10% chance or not. Yeah, that's true. That, that, that's, that's very much an interesting point. But, um, yeah. But you wonder if they actually showed everybody the interviews before it started or if they just let them see the interviews the first time on Sunday night and let them react how they're going to first seeing commentary. showed it to them but but that's a good point who knows because you know jordan really had full control over this i know that so much so they didn't even bleep the f word out a couple times he was (laughs) he was on espn i was like oh i guess we forgot that this was also on television and not just netflix well i think there was a disclaimer that the uh, censored version was on espn too oh well i don't know i just and then there was some language at the there was a disclaimer at the beginning also saying you know this is gonna happen so i i kind of saw that um, but I'm kind of curious where this documentary goes. And isn't it funny, Zach, that it's not, a, you know, a close play at first in the middle of April. It's not um, an offside in hockey. It's not a foul that changes the NBA playoffs. It's a documentary that we're all clinging to for some relief here. I know. I know. It's unbelievable. Because any other time, people may pay attention, but I don't know if they'd be paying much attention to this. No, no, that's the whole thing. They moved it up. This was supposed to begin, like, right after the NBA Finals. And ESPN moved it up for that exact reason. It's just like, well, there's nothing else going on right now, and everybody's going to be talking about this, so let's move it up a couple of months. And just like any other NBA game on a Sunday, let's put it at night and not in the daytime, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, nothing oh, going on, but true. let's still make it prime time. And they run it till 11 o'clock, so I don't know how many people lasted the two episodes, but... I did just because my, as you know, my dad has this huge Chicago background. Yeah. He, uh, he brought, he ingrained in me like Blackhawks, Cubs, Bears, you know, not so much the White Sox though, but, uh, what people, (laughs) but people who may not know is Reinsdorf also owned or still owns the White Sox. And he was part of that championship run in 2005. Yeah. He does still own the White Sox. And he and, uh, there was another guy too, Einhorn, I think it was. That owned these teams? I mean, they were Chicago powerhouses for all these years, actually. Well, I'll tell you something. Um, George Steinbrenner actually owned a piece of the Bulls for some time. Wow. Yeah, there is a... Um, it was it was a really interesting sports group. It was, Steinbrenner was part of it. Um, Lamar Hunt, the, the Kansas City Chiefs founder, he owned a part of it. Um, I know there are a couple of other interesting people and then i think slowly but surely uh reinstar started buying everyone out because back then and this is sort of fascinating too because back then nba teams really weren't worth a whole lot they didn't make they lost money every year and it's not like there were big tv contracts where the league was bringing in revenue so it was really just sort of like a vanity project and a lot of people just were tired of the losses so that's how you got someone like Reinsdorf, who was able to just come in and buy up shares slowly over time. Um, I mean, I think he paid, 
Um, I know I'm going to butcher the number, but I, I don't think I think it was something absurd, like maybe fifteen million dollars. Crazy. Like that to buy the, yeah. It's crazy. crazy. Well, and look how they just transformed that city. I mean, up until that point, the Cubs hadn't won anything. Um, I think '84 was a big year for them, actually. Right as this Bulls team was starting to melt together, wasn't '84 like a year for the Cubs where they made the playoffs and something? Yeah, they lost the um, pennant to the Padres. So it was then, and they hadn't had any much action before that, really. Um, so the city was kind of waiting. The Bears had just come off there. Well, even the Bears had that championship run at that time too. And then for 20 years, it was Chicago Bulls-centric, and that that was it. But tell me, Zach, you and I are not the only ones. We all remember there was a couple constants. NBA on NBA, NBA on NBC theme. Oh, yeah. Serious, the Alan Parsons Project song, and that Bulls <laughs> intro that's just ingrained in our minds because we'd seen it almost every night. It seemed like in the 90s, every night that was there. It, 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 really, it really is something special that, that um, you know, at guard from North Carolina, <laughs> it just you, you can't forget something like that. And apparently you that announcer against them, like you couldn't even fully root against them. And apparently that announcer was uh, was brought back when he came back as a wizard for his final game to to do it. So that was cool. And people oh, forget that he continued into basketball as an owner, and of course that venture didn't really go as well for him. But no, it's actually it's actually very surprising. Um, and then, you know, there's uh, the Washington experiment, which you mentioned, um, but he didn't have full control and, and all that. And, and and now with Charlotte, it is kind of surprising because he is such a good businessman. You know, he's got that great business mind. And he obviously, nobody knows basketball better than he does. And yet, for whatever reason, he can't seem to combine those two skills that he has to, to run the Hornets into a good team, it, it, it's it's really, like, mind-boggling. I'm just waiting for him to, like, come out in, like, a Hanes shirt because that's his big thing, too, <laughs> uh, during the show. I haven't seen that yet, so I'm just waiting to see if he comes out in his, like, regular white shirt that he comes in, you know, wakes up in, you know, because oh, it's brought I, to you by I'm Hanes. I'm sure you will. Anyway. It's all about the branding. He really is, and that's why he was able to do Nike Air and all that other amazing stuff. And, of course, Space Jam, which... Um, <laughs> You know, if you if you're a kid now, you think, well, I remember him on Space Jam, and we're like, well, he was more than that, pal. You know. Oh yeah. Anyway, oh, Zach, yeah. I won't let you go. It was great talking with you, and we will do this again soon. And oh, any absolutely. any last minute words of like encouragement or hope that you want to give us before we leave the airwaves this morning? You know, I mean, the, the thing I will say is it, it 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 certainly does look like we're turning a corner here in New York, and it, all indications are that. Um, the state with with uh, our, our five neighboring states, you know, uh, here up east, um, are working on a sort of grand regional economic reopening plan. Um, we don't know exactly when that's going to be. Uh, hopefully, towards the end of May, beginning of June. But 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 I think we're starting to see some light at the end of the tunnel. There's still a lot of unknowns. There's still a lot up in the air. But I do think we've gotten through the worst part of this and we can start talking more and more about how to reopen and how to rebuild our economy and by the way because this is live i'm sure we got some listeners what's your email what's your best way to get in touch with you zach z-a-c-h at 
nytruckstop.com. And you are on Twitter as well at uh, NY Truck Stop Radio, right? Is at that NYC Truck Stop? NYC Truck Stop. So we'll 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 link you there, and we'll talk to you soon. But thanks for coming on today, Zach. Oh, perfect. Thank you, Alex. And we will talk to you soon. Thanks again. Perfect. Be well. You too. I'm Alex Garrett, and uh, and so uh, thanks for coming on to to join us today. I have one more story I want to tell you, but I'm forgetting it at the moment. Uh, when it comes back to me, I'll probably jump on here. But have a great rest of the day, and please be safe. Please be careful, and say I love you to the loved ones around you. We need a lot more of that conversation going on. Have a great day. <laughs>